Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Broadcast from the Under the Sea Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Take a look into the world of koi ponds, water gardens, and the lifestyles of the aquatically obsessed. Meet the pros, hobbyists, and cover some no-nonsense pond advice straight from the field. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Here's your host, koi pond and water garden expert, Mike Gannon. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast, Episode 53. I'm your host, Mike Gannon, owner of Full Service Aquatics, a koi pond, water garden, and water feature company based in Summit, New Jersey. Check us out, fullserviceaquatics.com. I'm very happy to be here with all of you aquatically obsessed people out there, and happy you're all with me. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to raise baby koi. I want your fish parenting skills to improve. So there's some things you should know about raising baby koi into healthy, productive members of your pond. And it all starts with the eggs, which follow spawning time. So how does it all work? Well, gather close, folks, because I want to explain how baby fish are made. You see, when a daddy koi and a mommy koi really love each other, they may want to make babies. Right. Okay, so love may have nothing to do with koi reproducing, as hard as that may be to believe. And the truth is that koi are pretty awful parents. Many fish species will carefully prepare a spot to lay their eggs. They will viciously defend their eggs against other fish and predators. Some fish will even carry their babies in their mouths until they're big enough to venture out into the world. Koi and goldfish, eh, not so much. Not very good parents at all. Koi and goldfish are broadcast egg layers, spreading their eggs over an area with no particular preparations. They offer no protection or care to their offspring, and oftentimes literally devouring their own progeny like they're at an all-you-can-eat caviar bar, sushi bar. In our world, Koi would be frequently visited by dysis and spend a lot of time in family court if you catch my drift. So what can we do? What can we do to protect our baby koi, our koi eggs, from their parents? Because an order of protection ain't going to float. My guest on this episode, Karen Kelly, has some awesome and pretty easy to implement suggestions to raising our baby koi. Karen is, of course, a koi-keeping hobbyist and also an organizer in the Nashville Pond Society and moderator of the Nashville Pond Society Facebook page. Hey, Karen, are you on the line? I'm here. Hey, Karen, how are you? I'm doing fine. Just glad to be here to be able to talk about this. Well, I'm so happy you're here with me as well. This is a great topic. I can't wait to uh, get into it and people can learn a little bit more about it. How are things in Nashville? Oh, it's warm today, and I feel really bad that I can't feed my fish because it gets too cold at night. (laughs) Time of year. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's definitely. It's chilly up here. I'm I'm in New Jersey, and my fish stopped eating, uh, I'd say, a little over a week ago, maybe going on about two weeks now. So it's definitely getting down there in the temperatures. That's true. So what uh what what got you into koi keeping, Karen? Um, I started out and I had been into aquariums. So I went from that to I went to a place and saw some people in something called the Nashville Pond Society, and I saw that you could actually raise fish in your backyard, and the koi were beautiful. So I decided to make a pond. And that's the way it starts with all of us. <laughs> and you get one yeah. pond and then you think, boy, that's awfully small. I need to make a bigger pond. And so that <laughs> I went from smaller to me, kind of medium right now. I've, I'm going to put another pond in, though, this spring maybe. Uh, that will also maybe do a little bit more stuff with trying to tell who's going to be doing the spawning rather than just yeah. leaving it to chance. That's cool. So, so a pretty, that's, pretty that's, similar yeah. path that a lot of uh, pond keepers have. You start off with the aquariums and you just keep on moving up. So what's happening with the Nashville Pond Society these days? Well, we've kind of backed off of having a lot of personal meetings and stuff like that because there's so much information out there now that a lot of people don't have the same need that they did when we started with that group. But we maintain a rescue for fish and questions that need to be answered. We have a lot of people that get on our site and ask questions, and we can help them with that. Um, and also, let's say, fish rescues. We get fish rescues every once in a while, and we want to make sure the fish are taken care of. Awesome. Well, let's give a shout-out to the Nashville Pond Society. Hope everybody's out there having a really nice evening. And um, I don't know if you know this, Karen, but I also am a pond hobbyist who allowed – my love of the hobby to get so out of control that it became my profession. <laughs> so I too am That's aquatically obsessed. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. And now I own a company that installs and services koi ponds, water gardens for about 20 years. So it's funny. I see patterns now because I've been doing it for a while. And every year I get calls from pond keepers who are in a panic because they've come home or they've woken up to their pond covered in thick foam it's kind of smelly it's pretty murky and uh <laughs> their fish seem to be fighting with each other they're chasing and harassing each other and i think most pond keepers tend to think something terrible is happening and i don't blame them but what's usually happening is that the fish are spawning and once they're armed with that knowledge that their pond is not about to explode the next question is almost always what do i need to do and my my answer typically is you know because i don't most of them are not into um, raising them. So I say nothing, you know, let the fish do what they do and the cards fall where they will. And maybe you'll get babies, maybe not. Unless they want to raise and grow out some of the eggs, then it's a whole other ball game. And, and that's what we're going to discuss on how to raise baby koi. So I came across a post of yours um, that I loved and it, it just really struck me and it discussed what to do. And I thought it was really informative. It's kind of a step-by-step -step process you wrote out. So let's talk about some of your suggestions to raising baby koi. And I think this applies to goldfish as well, for those of you out there who, who just keep goldfish. Um, but let's start with the spawning. I, I touched on it briefly, but it makes mm -hmm. sense for us to um, start with spawning. So um, 
what is kind of what can people expect? When should people expect to see spawning and then the the opportunity to raise baby koi? It starts uh, for me in where I live. It starts usually in spring. And once the ponds get up and going, the fish back to being to eating and everything, then next natural thing for them to do is want to reproduce. So you can never tell somewhere from, you know, when you start in spring all the way through. In my case, it, my, my fish spawned late, like in August. So, you know, anywhere oh. in that time frame that you're going to have, you're going to have fish spawning. And what I do is I bought a big piece of rope and it uh, was just even nylon rope. And it's really thick. It's about the size of a maybe almost a half dollar. It's really thick. And I made sure that on one end you couldn't uh, unfray it, but at the other end I frayed it a lot. And then I put that end in the water. And this is, makes this easy for everybody. So you put it in the water. The fish think of it as the plants in water, and they go through mm-hmm. it and lay the eggs. And then the other, the, the male fish goes through and spreads the sperm. So, you know, it, it does the whole thing. And then here's the best part. You just lift that up out of the water, put it in a bucket, and take it inside. Awesome. Couldn't be any easier. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that so, sounds pretty easy. So good, na- good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We've got a lot more to get through. That's just the start. <laughs> so um, you have your um, a spawning rope, essentially, that you prepare. And there, there's other – you right. can find stuff maybe even on um, some of the, the supply sites that – you can get spawning mats and, and stuff like that sure. as well. And so now what if they lay the eggs, the eggs on um, the roots of plants? Can you take the plants out too? That's what, I did have some that wound up on plants. So well, I, I, was, I didn't want to miss any of them. So I went in and I got those plants and brought them in as well because you really only need the plants inside as long as the eggs are there. And once they hatch, you can put those plants back outside. Okay. So that one, that's not a problem. Is there any special equipment that people should use when they're removing eggs from the pond? Nope. I did it with my fingers. Uh, Here's the hard part, though. The the funniest part about this is I couldn't see the eggs because I thought the eggs were going to be bigger. They're really, if you have a pin like you're going to make for it when you're doing dressmaking or something and it has a round top on it, that's the size of the egg. It's that tiny, and so I kept missing the eggs every time my fish would spawn because I, w- I wasn't putting my spawning uh, rope in there, and I wasn't seeing the eggs. Once I got that connection, then it was much easier. Everything worked out. Everything went in a bucket, went in half. Okay. So, so the eggs are maybe a couple millimeters across. Yeah. So they're, they're pretty and they're, small. Where did and they're kind of Where almost you... almost a amber color. Amber, okay. And then with the the spawning rope, the the material that should somebody choose to do that, is there a strategic place to put that that rope or um, material? Yes, because fish like to spawn around where the water is running. I don't know why. I think it's because when they lay the eggs, that makes it better for the eggs that there's, when the water's running, that means that they're not going to be stagnant. And so it's safer for the eggs that they'll hatch if they're in a place near where the water is actually moving. Okay. Uh So that could be um, 
maybe close to a skimmer or close to perhaps a waterfall area. Exactly. Would that make sense? Okay. Oh, that's Great. perfect. Uh, okay. So they've laid their eggs. You've taken the rope out. What equipment do you need to actually raise the babies? What What would be the next step? You take the, the rope with the eggs out and you're placing it where? What's the next step? Well, I take the five-gallon bucket with that I, that I put the eggs in, and I also put the pond water in there with it and fill it up about halfway. Depends on how many eggs you get. I, I only took about 50, 60, maybe 70 eggs out of the pond, and the rest the fish ate because I knew I could not get rid of that many more fish. So, um, so I leave it in the bucket. It's about half full, maybe two-thirds of the way full, but it's still in the same water that it was in when they were, when they were laid. So I thought that would be the best thing. And then I put a little aerator stone in there with it just because you shouldn't have stagnant water. They, they wouldn't do good with stagnant water in a pond, so they shouldn't do stagnant water inside. And I also, if there were plants, like I said, I put the plants in there with it to make sure that those eggs hatched and then take them out. That's the first part. Uh, that's the easy part because now you're just waiting. You wait. Right. Uh, some of them, some of them, you get about a week. Some about two weeks, depending, I guess, maybe on the temperature in your bucket or whatever. But I, mine wound up being anywhere between one and two weeks, and then they started to hatch. And I didn't okay. think I was going to get a whole lot of them to hatch, but almost every single one hatched. Wow. And, the and this starts. is in, in a <laughs> this is in a <laughs> and this is in a bucket that maybe you like one of those Home Depot, just a, a regular plastic bucket, nice and clean. Is that correct? Yep. That's correct. Although the I, fish could care less if it's clean, if it was outside in the pond or at the pond, you know, as long as you don't get anything in there like a lot of debris, it's totally fine. I didn't you don't wash it or anything because obviously you don't put soap in something you're gonna put fish in. So it's just a bucket. I just I have multiple buckets okay. outside because you never know. And um, so a bucket you, and an aerator, you, mm-hmm. which is pretty basic equipment, One more. which is great. Right. One more thing you put in there, because if you put plants in especially, you're going to need a grow light. If you want your plants to stay alive for this one- to two-week period, they're going to need some sunlight. And it's better to have them in a place where the fish themselves don't, you know, they're, they don't mind it at all. But you, I just put a grow light on it so that you can uh, make sure that there's some sunlight. And it also helps keep the water a little bit warmer. Okay. So Great. you don't so have to do that. grow light. Yeah, and that, that takes care of your plants, and it also helps keep your fish warm uh, in a warmer condition, so you don't have to worry about a uh, thermostat. And probably having some full-spectrum lighting is, is beneficial to the fish, the fry, in, in some way or another. Um, I believe Now, when you're is. aerating, with the, with the aerator, um, when you're aerating, is there... Do you want it strong? Do you want strong aeration? Do you want soft aeration? Is is there a certain level that you, your diffuser should be at? Like, do you want it at the bottom it's of the bucket, little... <laughs> the top? It's a little bitty. I use just a little bitty tiny aerator, and it's it's just okay. like maybe an inch long. And because you just want to move the water a little bit, you don't want to create a lot of uh, motion because these these fish, when they first hatch, they're very fragile. So you don't okay. you don't want to do anything that's going to be too rough on them. 
So, so strong aeration could okay. That's good because strong aeration could potentially hurt the little tiny babies. Right, because when they do start trying to swim, which I don't know if everybody knows, fish don't know how to swim when they're born. So uh, when they first start to swim, they'll get really tired because they're trying to go against the the movement, you know. So it makes it okay. harder for them right. to swim. Okay. So That's once so you see, I actually didn't didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so once wow. you see that the once you see that the fish are starting to actually hatch, you don't even really notice it as much because they're so tiny. And um, somebody described it to me as two black dots with an eyelash in between. And I didn't understand it until I saw it, but it's the two two eyes and then the body is the size of an eyelash, basically. And so wow. all you see is just like some little – it's so fast. It moves so fast at first because they're they're just now hatching out. And a lot of times they'll – attach themselves to the side of the container and they'll be upright so you might see things that look like little upright lines along the edges and that's them yeah. attaching because they still have that egg sac uh, that they can get nutrients from and until they get rid of those nutrients they'll stay attached so okay so they live off right. their egg sac until they're big enough to start receiving food from us prepared foods and stuff like that um, now, mm-hmm. do you have to do water changes, or do you do filtration on these the tank at all? Well, on, on, when they're not eating, obviously, you don't really need to do any water change. You just keep that little aeration going. And then once they start to eat, that's when you have the, to worry about filtration. You have to worry about changing water and things like that. Because you want to get rid of waste, you want to get rid of food that, that you know, want to stagnate just like you wouldn't in a pond. So that's when you have to worry about that. Uh, when they're really super okay. tiny, when, then when the eggs are really super tiny, they, they don't eat anything that's almost big enough for you to see. So what they a lot of people do is they'll take and boil some eggs, and then they'll take that and mix it in a blender with some water. And make sure that it's a a substance that's that's a little thick but not pasty. It's going to be big enough, uh, uh, thin enough that it will distribute itself uh, among all the fish. And then you just put some in the bottom, and they will eat that. They kind of they don't have really big mouths, so they can't really eat anything solid yet. So that that itself will help. And then they also have these little mini, these little tiny baby brine shrimp that you can buy in a jar. And they have a little teeny tiny spoon, and you just barely give them a little bit of that, and they distribute into the water, and they're they're small enough that the fish can eat them. So, wow! Because they're okay. so tiny. Yeah. Um, oh. Okay, so that that's the next thing. Um, what else you want to know right away? Because I've got a lot of information. I I want to know what you think. Sure. Okay. So um, some of the food, so once they get to a point where they can start taking some foods, um, you're suggesting brine shrimp. And um, now when you said egg, do you mean, you mean egg yolk, is that correct? Or do you yep. mean the entire egg? Well, okay. you so, can put the whole egg in there. You can. Okay, cool. Um, is there a particular temperature that you're trying to keep this water at during this stage? Well, once they start, once they get to this stage where you're going to start feeding them, you you want to take them out 
of the bucket or whatever, you know, in my case, because I, I had it in a bucket, I wanted to be able to see the fish better and be able to clean things better. So I transferred them to a container, which is simply like one of those containers you store stuff in. The mine was probably the first one was about a foot by uh, 12 by 12 because okay. they were still really tiny. And I was able to do everything I needed to do and see them really well all the time. And it was in with that light, that grow light on top of it, it kept them pretty warm, so I didn't have to worry. But if you didn't want to use a grow light or didn't need to use that, you could get a, a small mat-type um, heater to put in the bottom. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that way, so but before, I try to keep them warm. Okay. Before they turn into the the eyelash with eyeballs, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, how long does it take for the egg to actually hatch? So once you take the eggs out, how long does that take? I didn't even ask you that. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it's it's one to two weeks. One to two weeks. Once you bring them in the house, they start to hatch. Okay, great. Okay. And then we get the the little tiny babies. Um, We have some food for them. And then where do we take it from there? Okay. Uh, So as the fish start to get a little bit bigger, where you can see them better and everything, you're going to probably need a bigger container even than that. So at some point, you have to get a bigger box. I used one that was about uh, 10, 15 gallons of water in it. And I kept containers that I could switch out water when I needed to uh, and everything. So I put some stones in the bottom of it because I wanted it to be like an experience they would have in a pond. And I found out that when you put stuff like the boiled egg mixture or any of the food, some of it would get on these rocks and then they would have that same activity you would see in a pond. So that made me feel like they were were pretty healthy because they were doing what, what I expected they should do. So uh, that's, you know, that was just one of those things. Plus, some of them are bigger than than, than others. So you have to have yeah. place for smaller fish to hide because the bigger fish will bully smaller fish to get food. That's just natural part of what they do. So yeah. now we're the into pack, another container. <laughs> yeah, now we're into another container. It's bigger. So you've got fish that are now eating more, and this is where – I kind of had to do a little research on my own and just a little thinking, but I started taking normal fish food that I feed my regular fish, and I took some uh, called pleco wafers because, you know, all all baby fish like to eat algae. Well, these pleco wafers, sure. they're algae. So I put some of them in there, and then I put uh, another kind of fish food that's for color and stuff like that, and I ground it up in a um, coffee grinder. And I only oh. took out the parts that were really small at first, and I fed them just the little parts that were really small. It was kind of like dust, and you just put dust all over because you got to make sure everybody can get some. And okay. then you'd have then you'd have food on the bottom, you'd have waste on the bottom. So I used a tur I used a turkey baster to suck up all the extra food from where they ate and all the extra waste and got rid of it. And then put more water in for to replace that water. So I'm, I was okay. constantly I I felt like I was you know like nursing chickens or something baby chicks because I was <laughs> constantly watching these guys and constantly doing this turkey basting. 
so it it, it uh, but it worked really good and that's what these are some things that are really important always make sure that you have some filtration of some type and that's when I discovered a really good device and that is called a sponge filter it's a little thing you set in the sure. corner it's based off of an aerator and it has a foam um, wedge around it so that you don't have to worry about the little fish getting sucked up in it but it does help filtrate and it also provides more air and what I found out the most is the more air you've got in the pond, once they start getting bigger, the better off you are. I, I, okay. I believe that that's really important because it helps with ammonia. It helps with all kinds of stuff, and it makes them healthy. Okay. So once they're kind of at the stage where, let, let's say, they're, they're fry, they're, they're little, little tiny fish. They actually kind of mm-hmm. would, would visibly look like fish at this point. Um, you're adding some filtration, and those sponge filters that you're – referring to just so people know you can find those in uh aquarium stores correct i mean that that's like a basic that aquarium type of filter okay yep I've um, they're done, very I've easy to maintain yeah yeah very now what about um, with the water changes are you using pond water or are you using are you acclimating them over to tap water or well water how do you handle that i i use dechlorinator because it's, okay. uh, I want to try to keep it as clean as possible, and I think that if I put pond water in there, while it might be good for them in a way, it's not any better for them because there's stuff in the water, and you don't know if there's any bacteria or any any small things in the water that that shouldn't you know that might harm the fish. So I try to keep it cl- as clean as possible. So I use just regular tap water and use dechlorinator, and that's why I had multiple containers that I would leave them in. And even if I dechlorinated, I would usually let the water sit for a day or two. And before I swatched, okay. uh, swept it, you know, got it out of there. And at one time I had to actually take all the fish out of the container and put them in another container so that I could clean that container that they had been in because uh, some, it's a messy business. Whenever you're <laughs> raising babies of any type, it's a messy business. And that, so right. you have to occasionally do that. Okay. So yeah. then I mean, but after that, they get bigger. <laughs> it's odd, but they don't get color on them at first. There's no color. And then after a little while, you start to say, oh, my God, there's color in there. And there's this, and I can see this. And as every, as they start growing more and more, you start seeing more of what you think of as fish, as koi. But at first, those little fish that started that couldn't even swim, they just moved yeah. like in jerky motions. Now they're all swimming around and looking for food all the time. They're like constantly hungry. They're always looking for food and you can't always feed them every single time they're hungry. So, um, and they're they're developing color. So where along the timeline are we right now? How many weeks in before we start seeing them developing colors and really swimming? I think about, um, Four week, three or four weeks, you see them swimming, and you can okay. tell that there's more than just an eyelash. They're bigger. They're bigger. And then about eight weeks, you see some color on some of them, and some of them are, you know, they, you don't see as many bright colors, but you see some colors. And you can tell if one is white or if one is uh, black or, you know, anything like that. You get some of that. But then they 
turned there's some yellow and there's now orange and oh my god wow. look at that that looks like a so and so so uh, that's I amazing guess about three yeah it is it's 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 so crazy and it's so wonderful when you see it because you just now you're really putting everything together but you also run into a problem at that point and that problem is Toby's okay. And this is something I never knew even existed, but whenever you have fish, when you have koi babies, you get some fish that get bigger than the rest before the rest, and they're called tobies. They're usually dark-colored fish, and they're, and they're kind of a throwback to what koi were before they started you know, adding in all these other kinds of carp and things like that. So you, they, they will bully everything, and if you let them, they will eat everything. So here's what you have to do next. One of those other containers you got, you got to have another yeah. container because now you've got to separate the tobies. Otherwise, they'll eat the baby fish, the other baby fish. So I separated well, my tobies. Okay. I didn't want to kill them. Some people say kill them if they don't ever turn into really anything pretty, but that's a whole nother thing to talk about because there's a lot of controversy right. about it. But now I saved out, I saved my fish by putting them in two separate containers now. They're all doing good, and then all of a sudden the tobies started getting so big that I was kind of afraid they might jump out. So huh. I decided I wanted I wanted some of them in the pond because they were really right. that big. If you go and buy a two inch fish, you could put that in a pond. Well, well, I had made I, I decided I wanted to keep them where I can keep an eye on them, make sure they got food uh, that the other fish wouldn't eat all the food. So I made this hula hoop net, and I I made it so it's like a cylinder, and you just set set it down in there, and the top part had some. Uh, stuff around it to make it float and I put them in this basically they're they're in a big uh, baby uh, place like you would put small fish in a, an aquarium you have those little netting things this is a similar yeah. to that and uh, and so then I'd go out every day and I'd feed them and they came up they were they knew I was coming and they would come up and wait for me to feed them so eventually <laughs> when it got cold enough I decided, and they were a little bigger, I said, well, you guys are doing okay. I'm just going to let you go, and they, they're now in the pond on their own. But uh, the rest of my fish are in a 40-gallon aquarium at this point because there's about 25 of them, and they're going to get big over the winter. So I'm not sure. I may wind up having to get another aquarium. But uh, okay. it's fun to watch them, though. So uh, now you've got it's got to be amazing. Now... So so you started oh, with yeah. I'm I'm just real quick. You started with let's say sixty babies, right? Sixty eggs. Yeah. How many yeah. of those do you think developed into Tobies? Uh, probably about a third of them. Wow. Maybe a okay. third, so maybe a, a little bit percentage. less than a third. Well, it could be. Yeah. I mean. In, when I first took them out, I took out about five. I took about four or five more, and now I'm in the pond here, in the aquarium here. I don't really have a lot of tobies. I've got a couple that are bigger than the rest, but they're not acting as much like tobies, and they don't look like tobies. So I don't know. Uh, it's kind of sometimes okay. kind of hard to tell whether it's just a fish that you fed a lot and or that was opportunistic and ate a lot of food, or you know whether it's a toby. So, because they can come in more than one color, it's just the right. term for a fish that gets really big and starts turning on all the other fish. Okay, but Which otherwise, I, the 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 characteristics of it are it's a koi. It just 
grows mm-hmm. at a disproportionate rate to the majority yes. of the other fish. Okay. Yes, right. and then it tries to now, eat the other fish. That's no good. We don't want that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I always tell people that that you know they're they're very peaceful fish and they they don't eat each other, but that's really in the adult stage. I guess when they're still that young, it's a it's a rough world out there, and they'll go after each other and. That's that's unfortunate, but that's the way it goes. Yeah, and then there's the small ones that stay that don't grow hardly. You know, they grow so super slow. So you know, they're just really small, and it's not hard for them to to get those little fish. So I put in my and in, in I put in some little things to try to help them hide away from the bigger fish. And I was really go, doing really well, and my tubbies weren't eating the baby fish as much, and everything. And then they started this all at once one day they started chasing all the babies and that's when I had to separate them because wow. they were, okay. they were trying to eat and they did eat, wound up eating a couple of them. So, okay. Yeah, so but your Toby's are in the nature. pond. Mm-hmm. It is. It's nature. Um, your Toby's are in the pond. You have your other guys now. Those are still in a tank as we speak. They are. They're right in front of me. They're in a 40 gallon contain, a 40 gallon uh, breeder tank that I bought. I did not think it would cost me so much money because I wasn't totally prepared. So I had to go out and buy some stuff that I wasn't thinking I was going to need, but now they're doing great. And they, uh, I try to keep it like a pond rather than like an aquarium so that there's yep. stuff on the sides of the pond in in the pond, you know, and then there's stuff on the sides of this aquarium tank that I, I usually try to let some of it stay because they will eat off of all the stuff around the edges. And that's what they do. They do it in a pond. Yeah. They, they do the same thing here. But uh, as far awesome. as that goes, yeah, they're they're doing great. And and I will say this: when the when the fish are small, when the little fry are small, if you can get your hands on some water hyacinth, put a few of those yes. in that container because they help filter the water, and they okay. also help the baby fish have a place. The the smaller ones have a place that they can go to and be, you know away from the bigger fish. So that's a big thing. When you do start to put a pump in there, I did put a pump uh, on the outside of the pond once they got bigger, but I put a foam uh, thing on the intake so that the little fish wouldn't get sucked up in it. That's The first time I tried to do this, I had very much a disaster, and I put a pump in there, and it, they sucked up all my babies. <laughs> and oh. I was like, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. So I learned the hard way. But uh, you can get yeah. filters that go on those, and, and that way they'll be fine. And then you can just clean it off, turn it off and clean it off, and then put it back on, and then that, that'll keep them okay. But, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. There's uh, you know there's certain things that come up. I did a lot of searching on the Internet and looking at videos from people, and that was how I kind of came to where I was with, with doing this for the first time for real because the first time I did it I messed up and didn't even get started but this time I'm right I think I'd have a really good percentage that survived that's great so you're going to keep them indoors for the winter and then introduce them during the springtime yes early spring I'm going to take them out there and introduce them to the pond and um, I'm sure they'll be fine I'll put them you know I'll do just like you would if you went to an aquarium shop and got fish put them in a bag float them and I'm sure they'll be fine because they're very healthy. Yeah. I, I try to I try to keep some stuff around for things that come up. For instance, uh, in case they have 
they in case they had an outbreak of ick because they're going to be in an enclosed space. I've got something just in case that happens. I, I try to feed right. them really good food. Um, I tried to find food that was formulated so that it didn't leave a lot of waste. I found some shrimp pellets that they love, and it's for bottom feeders. So I have food for bottom feeders as well as the fish that come up to the top. I try to give them uh, blood worms. So I have dried blood worms for the t- ones that like to eat at, top, at the top. I have the right. shrimp pellets for the ones that like to eat at the bottom. And I have bug bites, which are really just little bugs, dried bugs. And those are also that go down to the bottom. So I try to keep it so that everybody's going to be able to get something to eat. And yeah. so far, so good. Some of these Sounds guys are delicious. now about three inches. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I, I yeah. had a real education <laughs> about that because I was like, well, what am I going to feed them? And worked from there. That's how it and went. what size would you feel comfortable reintroducing um, the rest of your babies back into the pond? How big would you like to see them be? Well, I think by the time it'll be – if I don't overfeed them and if I don't underfeed them, they'll probably be about three or four inches. So that that's totally fine to put in a pond. I I still have my hula hoop uh, container that I can put back in there and everything, but I think they won't need it, that they'll be okay with uh, that size of a fish. I was only worried because the Tobies I put in there were only about maybe an inch and a half or two inches when I put them in that container. And they grew yeah. in there for a while because I was just afraid that they would uh, be so small that something else like a frog would eat them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's definitely predators out there. Um, oh, yeah. And then when when are you moving to Japan to open Karen Kelly's fish farm? <laughs> I would love to just <laughs> even go to Japan and see that because I think it's really cool. I see a lot of videos about it. And everything, but uh, the funny thing, the the most unusual thing about this whole process was I'd had a fish kill where I lost a lot of fish, and I didn't, I don't keep a huge amount, but because I do fish rescues, I had multiple fish in my pond that were more than I no, normally had, and um, right. one of the fish that I had bought a couple, uh, maybe a year and a half before, was a certain type of fish and now when I'm seeing these babies these are babies from those fish one of them is a baby from a fish of mine that I had bought a year and a half ago and I didn't think it was spawned but when they were spawning those younger fish were going around with them and some of those fish are the are can't be anything but that fish so I'm like wow wow this is amazing to see this is exactly I can show you pictures of both of them and they look identical they're almost identical that's so it's, awesome. it's so fun to watch and see what, where the babies came from and to see, you know, how they all look. Yeah, the genetics of all of it is amazing. Um, tell me about your mm-hmm. fish rescue. What it, um, well, what's going on? We, uh, go, <laughs> we go out and people call and, and, and people, they, well, they, they actually now they just contact us on the uh Facebook page, and they'll say, oh, my, my so-and-so is closing this pond down. I bought a house, maybe, and they got fish and things like that, and they're looking. Some of them I can help with, like, maybe getting them to keep that pond with those fish and just educate them a little bit, and then some of them, they're like, no, this is my mom's house, and she's 
can't take care of them anymore and we need to close it down and then we have to help find a, a place for them uh thank goodness we have some places like uh the zoo the zoo has taken in quite a few koi that oh, are wow. rescued oh yeah it's wonderful yep. and then also the opryland hotel has taken in a lot because they have an indoor river and it's got koi in it and uh so wow. they they lost they saw it when we had the big flood a few years ago, you know, if they, they saved some fish, but I don't think they got to save them all. And so this was a good thing for them to help out as well. And then we have uh, people that were in the pond society that, you know, that might want fish. We also have people that are just, they, I say, Hey, does anybody need any fish? And, and people will respond, Oh yeah, we could probably help. And, and sometimes people would go out like multiple people would go out and, and, you know, rescue a lot of fish. We used to do big, huge rescues, but now we've gotten yeah. to where we don't have as many people available to do it, but we still try to do as much as we can. So, so that's a great resource for the Nashville area. All of my fish are rescues that I've gotten over the years. You know, same thing. People move, yeah. they abandon their ponds, all sorts of stuff. I was just contacted today by uh, a gentleman who had 75 koi that he was looking to, to rehome. So it's just, you know, fish rescues are, are a really important part of our, our hobby, our industry, our lifestyle. So I appreciate you doing that. And just really amazing info, Karen, um, on raising how to raise baby koi. I really appreciate you sharing well, this thanks. information with me and the listeners. So, so many people just don't know what to do when their fish spawn, and they don't get any babies from their spawn because they all get eaten, the eggs get eaten, and now they can. So there is a way, is, is there a way that people can reach out to you if they have questions? Sure. They they can find me at the Nashville Pond Society on Facebook, and uh, I right. answer. I'm actually got a good rate at, at answering questions, usually pretty quick. And um, anybody who has any questions about it, surely they can you know contact me there. I even have a little button on there where you can send me messages and stuff like that. And uh, any any help I can give, I'm more than willing to help anybody with this because I I've really enjoyed it and I I've had fish for a long time, and then never really did this before until this year, and I'm just discovering a whole new aspect of owning koi, and even the same with goldfish. Uh, I don't have goldfish in this pond, but I have a small pond with goldfish in it, and uh, they had babies I didn't know about. Uh, so uh, it's just so fun. Lots of fun. It is. It's great. And thank you so much for being here. I hope you come back sometime. Oh, I'd be glad to. It's nice okay, talking to Carol. you. Well, thanks again. You too. You take good care. All and right. we'll catch up another time. All Bye-bye. right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Karen Kelly, everybody, an avid koi keeper and raiser of baby koi. She's also the organizer and organizer for the Nashville Pond Society, and you can find her on Facebook, which is the Nashville Pond Society Facebook page. So thanks again, Karen. So next time you pond keepers experience spawning in your pond, you know what to do. I see most spawning happening near the end of spring, kind of post-equinox. But um, I've also seen spawning happening later in the season, like Karen had referred to, sometimes in August or just at some odd ball times throughout throughout the season however the majority of spawning is going to take place in late may into june generally speaking 
So get your spawning mops ready, get your spawning ropes ready, prepare those holding tanks because the babies are coming. How fun would it be to raise your own koi? Come on. What a learning experience. And now you can do it successfully. I'm your host, everybody. I'm Mike Gannon. I'm a pond professional and owner of Full Service Aquatics based out of Summit, New Jersey. Full Service Aquatics designs, installs, and services koi ponds, water gardens, and we create amazing water features like waterfalls and streams. So if you have a project, get in touch with us. We cover all of New Jersey and beyond. My website is fullserviceaquatics.com, or the easy name is loveyourpond.com, loveyourpond.com. If you're in the Jersey area, come say hi. Come hang out by my pond with me. Come on. Don't want to do it all alone. I'd love to have the company. You can find more Pond Hunter on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and you can find this episode 53 and the entire catalog of Pond Hunter Radio broadcast on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. So leave a comment, say hi, and until next time, thanks for being here and sharing this time. Keep it pondy, everybody. You have been listening to the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Mike Gannon, the Pond Hunter. In the pursuit of all things aquatic, broadcasting Wednesday nights on Blog Talk Radio, the Pond Hunter, keeping it pondy for the aquatically obsessed. That's right. That's you, you aquatically obsessed folks. Thanks for joining, and we will see you next time. Share this terrific hobby and lifestyle with your friends, family, and loved ones. We need more of this out in the world, this crazy world we live in. And uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. Peace.